Let's glorify him together. There's none like him. There's none like him in all the earth. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. And what an honor it is to stand before you, this pulpit, and this wonderful church. Uh, so many memories, so many uh, emotions um, connected to this place and to the bishop from years back. And I, I, I thank God. I can't help but think about uh, my dear friend from years ago, Bishop J.D. Sizemore. His legacy continues in so many ways, in so many people's lives. And uh, his, his grandson, uh, Pastor Sizemore, uh, his hearty guffaw and, and uh, mannerism so remind me of Bishop. And I, I'm glad to see uh, Danny, Bobby, and so many others uh, here, Brother Williams, God bless you precious people. Uh, thank you, uh, Pastors Urshan and Sizemore, for allowing me to be here today. I'm so thankful and so honored. And uh, as I said, so good to see friends. I rejoice with you concerning the uh, present day miracle of what's taking place at Tree of Life. And uh, in, in a world of confusion and disunity and fussing and fighting and all of those things, I rejoice to see a, a merger of people together to work for the kingdom of God. How wonderful is that? How wonderful is that? And what a great, great thing and a great chapter in the future of this church that's going to change uh, Cincinnati in so many ways. And, and I know you're glad to be a part of that. And I am I'm honored just to have this moment with you concerning that as well. Um, God honors uh, unity and selflessness. And, and God is going to honor what you precious people are doing. And with, with this spirit, there's absolutely, absolutely no telling what God is going to do in Cincinnati. I think we ought to give God a great praise for that, church. I think we ought to just give God praise for that. Hallelujah. Pastor Urshan, thank you uh, to friends, old and new, and I appreciate your pastor so much. He blessed us at, at men's conference with the word of the Lord. I know he's a blessing here. What a class act, brilliant minister of the gospel. Someone said uh, at the meeting that he's the quintessential apostolic minister. And, uh, and uh, so I'm going to have to read a, a thesaurus to, to catch up with his intelligence and and his word usage behind the pulpit. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to read a thesaurus. And uh, speaking of that, my wife accused me of st stealing her thesaurus. Not only was I shocked, I was appalled, aghast, and dismayed. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I want to open my heart and share the word of the Lord with you. Uh, if you'd stand just for a moment, I'm going to turn your attention to the book of Acts, chapter 27. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Acts chapter 27, I'm going to read one verse, and that's verse 20.
And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. All hope that we should be saved was taken away. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Would you establish it in our hearts? Would you anoint me, O God, and as you do so, also speak to this people, that your word would come forth and minister to every soul, every heart, every hurting and longing soul in this building. May they be filled with the presence and the anointing of God in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand clap. Come on, let's praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's glorify the Lord in this house. Magnify the Lord in this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Acts chapter 27 records the perils of Paul's voyage that will ultimately end in shipwreck. As you read the details that are shared, we are offered a glimpse into the perils of of this dramatic voyage. It's a tale not unlike the ebb and flow of our lives and even perhaps the life of a church. Paul is led as a prisoner with other 275 passengers. And the drama begins and the plot thickens. I want you to notice the ups and the downs and the fear and the fading hope, the concern and the anguish. It all begins as much does in life, very innocently. Just a few verses. Verse 3 says that they were courteously entreated. That means people were nice. Isn't it good when people are nice? So they're on their trip and everybody's nice. That's good. But the very next verse, verse 4, says they faced contrary winds. doesn't take much to go from one instance and one emotion to the next from being treated nicely, now we're facing contrary winds. Verse 7 says that they sailed slowly many days, and this is the monotonous part of the, of the journey where there's really not a lot of high and low. It's just putting one step in front of the other and just going along. But verse 8 says we, we arrived at Fair Havens, and it's good to have a place called Fair Havens where you can perhaps relax just a little bit and just a little brief fair haven. That's verse 8. But verse 9, however, says that now sailing was now dangerous. Now it's real dangerous. Things change from one moment to the next and because the haven was not commodious to shelter in or to winter in, they had to leave. Here they are on the sea. Verse 13 says the south wind blew softly. I can handle that. I like that. If you're from Louisiana, 100, degree, 100 degrees and 100 degrees, uh, 100% humidity, you, you'd like a little breeze every once in a while. Man, that soft wind blowing, that's just wonderful. That's verse 13. But verse 14 says, now comes a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. So we go from this nice little breeze to now a tempest. Your rock, Ladon, your rock, your world, Don. And that tempestuous storm that arises begins to affect these on their ship. 
And the Bible says, verse 16, we had to do a lot of work on the boat. The labor never ends. And verse 17, fearing that we're going to fall into quicksand. And verse 18, they exceedingly tossed with a tempest. And then verses 18 and 19 says that we had to get rid of some things on the ship because we're afraid we're going to go under. So they go starting to get things and throw off of the ship. And when they started, they thought they needed all of that stuff. But now they realize there's a lot of this stuff we just don't need. And they just start throwing it overboard. Get rid of it. Sometimes there's some excess things you just need to get rid of. You don't, you don't tell my wife that. She'll make me clean out my closet. But I, but they're, they're, I think I need it. If, even though I hadn't used it in 20 years, I think I need it. Come on, somebody. But sometimes there's some things that you just really don't need when the tempest comes and when the storm comes. You really just don't need that. And then verse 20. As they're out on the water in this tempestuous situation, the Bible says, neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest is on us and, and all hope that we should be saved was taken away. They are now at the most treacherous time in the journey, in the voyage, because when all hope is gone, when you don't have any hope and, and you're hopeless, this, this is akin to hell, if you will. Because hopelessness, there's, there, there's no way we can survive. Some of you may have read Dante's Inferno. He says, ascribed upon the walls of hell when you enter in, there's this saying that says, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Hell is a state of hopelessness. And when they are facing this hell on the waters, there is no hope. We're going to die. All 275 plus Paul, they're all going to die. There's nothing that remains. We just need a lot of body bags if, if we can even have that. We're not going to make it. We're going to die. And as we look to the, to the stars for navigation, we can't see any stars. As we, as we try to see the sun, we can't see the sun. It is as if, Pastor, heaven itself has closed up. Heaven's not even directed us. We can't, we can't get any sign from heaven. We can't get any direction from heaven we don't have anything to navigate by and to chart our course by we are hopeless this is the end of us in our two short lives we are all about to die there's no heavenly assistance heaven itself is silent offering no direction for us and everything is challenged and everything is beating against us and our lives are about to be extinguished the storm clouds are thick Hope has faded into darkness. And here we are. Here we are in hopeless state. Can I just say for a moment that many today have lost hope. Maybe it's a doctor's report. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a loss. All the things that we have faced all across our, our country and COVID and a lot of other things and now warfare and all the stuff going on, inflation, all the cultural turbulence and, and all of the, the confusion going on in our country and in our world. And there's so many people that feel, I have no hope. I have no hope. Depression has, has arisen in the, in, in even in our young people. Studies have been done that even since a couple of years ago, two and a half or so years ago, the, the, it has, depression has gripped the hearts of so many young people, even children. There was a new term that came about during COVID. It's called doom surfing or doom scrolling. 
And what is that? Well, that's when we do this and, and everything we look at is negative and negative and negative. Everything's negative. Every, everything's going to hell. Everybody, everything's horrible. Everything's terrible, terrible, terrible. And it creates a sense in the hearts of young people and, and all of us that everything is bad and everything is horrible. Doom scrolling and doom surfing. Can I tell you, we need to do a little hope surfing today. We need to do a little hope scrolling today. If I can get my face in this book and, and I can see that there is hope, that God is for me, God is not against me, I'm going to make it. It may be dark, I may be in a desperate, destitute situation, but I know my God still reigns. Can I tell you, he's still on the throne. He was not surprised by COVID. He was not surprised by your problems. He was not surprised by what happened in your life. He is still on the throne, high and lifted up. He's the king of kings and He's the Lord of Lords. He has not vacated the throne. And he has not vacated your throne. He is still almighty God. So I've come to tell you, hope remains. It may seem like it's all lost. It may seem like there's no direction in your life. But hope remains. Hope remains. But everything seems to be chaos. Everything seems to be doom. And we can't find a way out of this. And, and we're going to die. And as those men who were brave in their, in their commission of crimes and all the things that they were doing, now they are wilting like little children. We're going to die. Someone has well said that in the midst of a shipwreck, there are no atheists. You have people that are crying out to God as everything is shaking and you're lost in this vast expanse of sea. You're going to die. And all hope is gone. But then something amazing happens. A man of God steps into the situation. Paul steps forward in the midst of all of these shivering men, fearful men. And you know what he says? He says something. This, this amazes me. You know what he says? He looks at all these men. He says, cheer up. Crazy preachers. What in the world? Cheer up. Cheer up, my brother. Cheer up. And they're looking at him. You know, they're over here throwing up and sick and ready saying their last prayers. He says, Cheer up. Because God has visited me. An angel showed up in the midst of all this mess. An angel showed up in the Angels told me that we're all going to make it. We're all going to survive this. We're all going to, what do you mean we're all going to make it? God speaks through the voice of a man into the chaos, into the abyss. There's a hope that pierces all of that darkness and says, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Matter of fact, not one hair is going to be lost off of your head. Now I know some, he's got to count more than others. The hair, you know, what you have or don't have. But you know what that shows me? 
That shows me how close God is. He's right there. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm going to take care of you. And he said, go eat, eat some meat. You need to eat a little bit. You need to eat. We're good at that, though. I need to eat a little bit. Number one question at Pentecost is where are we going to eat? Right, well, where are we going to eat? That's a good one. You need to eat a little bit. You need to, you need to uh, realize I've heard from God. We're going, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. It doesn't seem like it makes any sense. His words seem to be oblivious to the circumstances. Be of good cheer. We're going to make it. You're going to make it. We, 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 we've got to proclaim that. And I'm glad that you have pastors and ministers here who step into your darkness and tell you, you're going to make it. I don't think I can survive. I don't think I'm going to make it. Yeah, you're going to make it. And the pre- you said, preacher, you don't understand. I may not understand, but I have a God who understands and he knows everything you're facing and everything you're dealing with. And we can say with the surety, you're going to make it. Now, I remember when I was younger. What's that mean? I was younger a minute ago. I told him the other day, I started going to church when I was 13. My family wasn't in church. I was invited by a Sunday school teacher to go to church. God bless you, Sunday school teacher. Invited me to Sunday school. So I went to Sunday school because this is something he said. He said, we'll have candy, and there will be girls there. I was a 13-year-old hunk of a man. Not really. I was just a little twig. My wife said, if, if I would have seen you like that, I never would have married you. But I've eaten a few times since then. So you know what? I went to church. As a 13-year-old, I walk in. You know what I get? I get a peppermint, and there's one girl in the building. <laughs> and in spite of the deception and disappointment, something got a hold of me. For the first time in my life, I heard that an evangelist and his wife singing. They sang, surely the presence of the Lord is in this house. And a 13-year-old was changed by the power of God. They took me down to the river and baptized me in Jesus' name. And my life has never been the same. And I'm glad that I made it. That's been at least 10 years ago. So we started going to fellowship meetings. You ever heard of those? See, we look at them now, we call them battleship meetings. Because in north Louisiana, in the rural area, uh, the, you'd have all these preachers get together. You'd, you'd go in, they'd have a hat with numbers in it, and you'd grab a number, the preachers would. One through 50. And everybody's got five minutes to preach. Oh, God, have mercy, Jesus. But it's not the length of the preaching. It's, the, it's what I observed as a young teenager in the church. And 
And uh, God bless them. But I'm telling you, it, it, was, it was a situation where everybody wanted to out-preach the other. In their five minutes, you know, one gets up and he preaches. And the next one says, you think that's something. I'm talking, I'm talking about they, 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 they would one-upmanship and one would have to preach against more than the next one, the last one, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally telling you, it got to the point, I'm not joking. It's a sin for you guys to have hairspray. And it's a sin for you to have deodorant. And I'm thinking, all of y'all need deodorant in this house. And they, they, I'm t- they, they would just go from one extreme to the other. And I'm sitting there. And, uh, and So help me, this happened. One preacher gets up and he says, You know the story of the ten virgins. Five wise, five foolish. Five made it, five didn't. Only 50% of you are going to make it anyway. So I'm new to all this, and I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm in the lower percentile. <laughs> the next guy gets up. Oh, Jesus. You think that's something. There were ten lepers. And only one of them came back. Only 10% of you are going to make it. Well, I'm gone. I'm done. I'm a, I, just bury me. I'm over. It's over with for me. I'm not going to make it because I'm in the low percentile. But you know what I found out through life and experience and preaching and hearing men of God and being in the presence of God? You know what I've found out? We can all make it. I've come to proclaim into your darkness and your hopelessness to tell you, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Come on, mama, you're going to make it. Come on, daddy, you're going to make it. Come on, young people, you're going to make it. Come on, prodigal, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. My God is greater than all of your hopelessness. My God is greater than your shipwreck. My God is greater than the darkness. So I feel like the Apostle Paul stepping into it saying, you're going to make it, cheer up. I thank God you have men of God that come to tell you you're going to make it against all odds, against all the tempest, and against Eurachlodon, and against the shipwreck. You're going to make it because my God is faithful. He's faithful to his people. He's faithful to his church. You've got a covenant with God. And when you had a covenant with God, he said, you may forget, but I will never forget. I have a covenant with you. But my children, they're so far away. They're living a lascivious life and they're doing all kinds of crazy things. They're drugs, they're distant. They're maybe sitting on a bar stool somewhere and maybe doing drugs and all of this stuff. And you say, I remember when they used to to go to church and they used to shout and they used to talk in tongues and when they were baptized and moms and dads are grieved in this day saying, I don't know if my child will ever, ever come back. And some of them even drifted off in their mind intellectually to where they begin to question even the existence of God. And all of these things that are going on in their lives. But I've come to tell you, they are not far from God. 
You might say, well, you don't know what they're doing. You don't know how they're living. I know what God's doing. I know what God's doing. And God says, I don't give up on them. I won't give up on them. I have a covenant with them. I'll remember them. They are one prayer away from restoration to God. If they repent, God will hear them. While they're doing that thing, God is hover, hovering over them. Oh, come on, I'm here. Come on, I'm here. Would you just listen? I'm not. Would you please hear me? I'm, go, I'm, I'm here. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. That's why you can't give up. That's why you got to keep the church open. That's why you got to keep praying. That's why you got to keep loving. You got to keep worshiping, even in darkness, because the light is penetrating the darkness. Oh, come on, somebody, give God praise right now. Come on, give God praise in this. I also remember hearing ad nauseum. How's that word there, Brother Pastor? Thesaurus, come on, Jesus. Back then, I remember hearing, uh, well, bless God if you don't do it. God will replace you and find someone else to do it. You know what I realized? Nobody can replace you. Nobody has the sphere of influence that you have. Nobody is married to who you're married to, at least I don't think. Come on, somebody. Nobody's parents of your children but you. So, so, so God, God is not interested in replacing you. God is interested in restoring you. You may not have got it right for a long time, but God says, I'm not giving up on you. As long as there's breath, there's hope. As long as there's breath, there's hope. And God is going to make it happen. God's going to shine into your darkness. Give God praise in this place. You're going to make it. We proclaim it to you. You're going to make it. Our churches need hope. Our mission fields need hope. Our marriages need hope. Our children need hope. We need hope in the midst of this day in which we live. I say hope remains. Sadly, some only see the tempest. And they curse the storm. And they curse the problem. But oh, thank God for that preacher who speaks into the abyss. Shouts into the dark. We're going to make it because the abyss, that's where people are living. The addicted, the unholy, the atheist, the suicidal, the depressed, the backslider, the doubter, the scoffer, the reject, the wounded, the hurting. They're out there on that, this ship thinking they're going under. But thank God that God has placed a man of God in the midst of all of the darkness to say, you're going to make it. Come on, I wish you'd look at somebody and tell them, you're going to make it. Now I want you to say it again like you really mean it. You're going to make 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 it. Even up there, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. From the front to the back, from up and down and all around, you're going to make it because God is on our side and God hears the prayers of his people.
going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Woo! I feel the preacher in the house. If only there was a voice from heaven to counter their hell. An angelic visitation, a voice in the storm to say with boldness and confidence, you're going to make it. Our world is looking for a place of refuge. Our world is looking. I need it. I'm going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Lift your hands just for a moment. I want us to worship God. Jesus, help us. God, impress it. Impress it in my heart. Impress it in my heart. Some, some see a hopeless end. Others see an endless hope. Every one of you. We're not going to leave any of you behind. See, we're all right here in the ship right now. And some of you, where you're at in the ship, you're shaking a little bit. Some people even thought, maybe if I just jump off the ship. Paul said, just stay on the ship. It's not time to look for a reason to get out of the church. It's look for a reason to get into the church and, and hold on. I know it's turbulent. I know it's tough. I know you have doubt. I know you have questions. But just hold on. Hold on. Hold on to hope. So, here they go. And then the Bible says in verse 40, then it happens, that which they feared. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves into the sea, and they loosed the rudder bands and hoist, hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast, and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. Here it is. Shipwreck. And the soldier's counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape, because the prisoner, or the guards would have to give their life in exchange for any prisoner that would escape. You've got 275 that are about to escape. So he, he said, we can't let anybody escape, so we're going to kill them all. The confusion, the horror, the pain. Think, everything is against you now. The ship is against you, the water, the depths, and the guards. You hoped and prayed it would never come to this, but it did. Here you are, tossed to and fro, have no idea what to do. Everyone is clamoring around. Your mind is numbed by the, the shrieks and the screams proceeding from all areas. One ancient man who experienced shipwreck personally said this, it would be a hard task to represent the terror and consternation that seized upon every heart on the ship. 
Nothing now was heard but cries and sighs and groans and some prostrate upon the deck implored the assistance of heaven. The creaking boards themselves groaned for help and the calloused mariners fall on their knees. And there are no atheists during a shipwreck. And you don't want to give in, but you begin to submit to the inevitable. We're going to die either by the water or we're going to die by these guards, these soldiers. To make the situation even worse, they're going to kill us before the shipwreck does. Paul, what did you say just a little while ago? Cheer up. You're going to make it. Now they're saying they're going to kill all of us. What do you mean we're going to make it? But then the man, the centurion, wanting to save Paul's life, said, no. There's that man of God again. We're not going to kill him because he wanted to save Paul. So you know what he said? Jump overboard. And all of you that can swim, land ho. Get after it. If you can swim, get after it. If you can't swim, the Bible said the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. If you can swim, get after it. But if you can't swim, there's going to be something to hold on to. There have been times I've felt like an Olympic swimmer. Man had an experience with God at a camp or a service on a Sunday. Lucifer, bring him on over here. And them spiritual Wheaties, you know. Feel strong. Swim. Man, just getting after it. And I, there's been times I felt like I could swim. Man, it, I'm breathing so well on this mountain, I don't care what comes my way. I can face it. But there's been other times. I'd sink like a rock. I can't swim through this. But if you can't swim, if you just look up there's something floating your way. You just grab a hold. You grab a hold of it. And if you just hold on. If you just hold on. If you just hold on. It's going to bring you to the same place the swimmers are going. If you just hold on. 
As I said, there's been times that I felt so strong and victorious. And other times, two and a half years ago, for example, oh, God, I was, I was brought to my knee. My 16-year-old son, Noah, just a precious, precious young man. He was playing basketball at the school where he attended. He was a junior. He was a starter on the team, and we were playing. And the school he went to was a, 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 a private school. We played all of the public schools. And, and the school, and I'm, I'm saying this for reasons, so just hold on, please. I, the school he attended was primarily white. And the school that we were playing was uh, Southern Lab, which is primarily, primarily black. And some of you are probably aware of Southern, like Southern University. It's their high school system. So Southern Lab, Laboratory School, and they were, they were good. They were, they were beating us, you know. We play below the rim, they play above the rim. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. They was beating us down. Halftime comes. And my son had played the entire half, and he worked hard. He worked hard. Go to the locker room, and here's the gym, and the locker room is just right over to the side, and I'm sitting up in the bleachers waiting for the second half to begin. And a young player comes out of the locker room. He's down there, and he speaks to me. And when he speaks to me, I thought he said, no one needs some water. I said, okay, I'll bring him some water. He said, no, no, no. He's having seizures. So I get up, and I run down the steps. There happened to be a player on our team whose dad was a doctor, and he was sitting just a little ways away, and he saw... The panic in me. He got up and he ran as well. So I run into the locker room. And I, I, when I run in and I look and I see my, my son, he's on the floor and he's shaking and shivering. And I remember when he was just a little lad that he had seizures that no longer has them. He, he grew out of them, they say, you know. But now here he is as a 16 year old. And I'm thinking, we got to get back on the medication. You know, we got to do all this stuff again and so the team leaves out and the coach leaves out and it's just me and the doctor and, and Noah and I'm, I'm down here and the doctor and the doctor says hey he's going to be okay let's just, just roll him over on his back he'll be fine and uh, so I put my hand on his chest and I didn't feel anything I looked into his face and he was an ashen gray color and I said, doctor, is he breathing? And the doctor checked and he said, he's not breathing. Call 911. I jump up and I run out to the open court and I dial 911 and I begin to cry out. We were playing at Southern Lab and uh, their fans are over here and they're all rejoicing of the demolition of our team. And, and I begin to, can anybody help us, please? Can anybody help us, please? Can anybody help us? And then I run back in, and it's getting very intense. The doctor's working. He's doing CPR on my son. He's, he's doing the compressions. He's doing the breath. And then a, a gentleman from Southern Lab runs, and he rips his shirt off. He gets down, and they're helping. They're working. And someone else comes, and you got all these people working on my boy. And they're working on my boy. And I kneel down beside him. Brother, Brother Sizemore, I, sh I should know how to pray, shouldn't I?
But I was overcome with fear. I'll just be honest with you. I began to see death, and I began to think of all of these things. And I want to pray, but I'm, I'm just having a hard time. It's so surreal. It just doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem right. And I'm trying. I'm trying. Then a gentleman runs in with an AED, the uh, defibrillator device, and, and they hook him all up to all of that, and then they tell me to move my hands. I move my hands, and, when, and then they shock him, and I watch my son's body convulse and, and jump on that cold, damp, gray concrete slab. And this preacher from the age of 16, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. And they dragged me out. They dragged me out around outside the door onto the edge of the court. And I'm, and I'm standing there and I'm trying, trying somehow to find something to hold on to. I'm just at the, I'm sinking into the depths. And about that time, those dear ladies from Southern Lab that were just screaming and hooting and calling it out and praising their team. They see me and they, someone gets, it gets out what's happening and about 30 of those precious women come out of the bleachers and they come. And my dear black sisters, they're not, they're not apostolic, but they come around and they gather around me. And you know what they start doing on the edge? They start having a prayer meeting. They start saying, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Southern Lab's coach, a tall gentleman, he comes over to me and he puts his arms around me, holds me. And he, I'm looking, he's way up there, I'm here. And, he's, and he, he, says, he says to me, he says, when I was a little boy, my dad told me, I'm going to teach you to pray, son. Because one day you're going to need to pray. And he said, he said, he said, Mr. Martin, this is that day he taught me for. And they began to pray. And I'll never forget, there was one, one small, short black lady in the group. And she came up to me. And she took my face in her hands like this. She said, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And she said, our God is a miracle-working God. Somebody threw something into my darkness. Somebody threw something into my hell. Somebody threw something into my abyss. And I grabbed a hole. While the storm is trying to take me down, a little bit of hope was bringing me. Let me hurry with the story. They take my son. Finally, the ambulance arrived. It seemed like an eternity, but we come to find out that he, was, he wasn't breathing for about 20 minutes or so at least. They had to shock him three times. I saw one. Oh, God. They wouldn't let me back in. 
I told her, I said, don't worry about me. Don't pray for me. Pray for him. Let me back in. They wouldn't let me back in because they knew I was wilting. They wouldn't let me in. And finally, the ambulance comes, and I see him, his body, as they take him on the stretcher to the ambulance. And, and as they take him to the stretch, on the stretcher of the ambulance, the doctor, who had been there the whole time, he called me. He said, let's go. So the doctor and I get into the ambulance. And my son, my son, my son. My son, is, he's flailing about. He can't speak. Just, just guttural sound. And at this point, I'm saying, God, just let him live. However, however, just take me, take me, but just let him, please just let him live. And now, because of the prayers of some people, some words started coming back to me in the midst of the abyss. And I began to say, Lord, in your favor is life. Lord, you are the resurrection and the life. When I passed by you and I saw you polluted in your own blood, I said, live, yay. I said, live. Live. We get to the emergency room. I'm sorry. Just, just, we get to the emergency room. We get to the emergency room, and they, 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 they finally get enough people, 15 or so, come in there, and they hold him down, tie him down, hook up stuff to him, and they get him sedated and all of that. And After a little while, the doctor walks in, cardiologist. He walks in. He walks up to Noah, and he looks at him, and he takes the chart, and he looks at everything, and he looks and examines, looks and stands there like this. Then he gets me and my wife. If he lives, he might, may not be able to speak. Probably going to lose some function, some mobility. He was out for a long time. Had to shock him three times. He was out a long time. If he lives, the doctor leaves. It's about 9 o'clock. Every few minutes, I go up to Noah, and I lean over, and I say, I love you, son. There's no, no sound other than every once in a while, a guttural. Every few minutes, I go up to him, and I do that. I say, hey, I love you, Noah. I love you, son. 9 o'clock rolls into midnight. About 3 o'clock in the morning. I walk up there, I lean down, Noah, I love you, I love you too. I ran down the hall, he spoke, he spoke, he said something. That was three o'clock in the morning. By noon. Hear me. By noon. He's sitting up in the chair playing video games. Against me. And I, 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 I couldn't tell him, but even in that condition he beat me. That's how good these kids are. 
I don't know how to turn this phone on. Oh. The doctor comes in. He walks in. Looks at the bed. Nobody there. Looks over there. Looks at us. Looks at the bed. Looks at him. Steps back. Pulls me over and he says, I'm not a religious man. But I will tell you this. I've never seen this. He said, your boy doing what he's doing is a miracle. When I couldn't pray, somebody prayed. When I couldn't touch God, somebody gave me something. Somebody gave me something to hold on to. Everybody stand with me, please. Two other cardiologists came in. One was a, a young, precious Muslim lady who was a cardiologist there. She walked in and she looked and she said, I don't know who you've been talking to, but whoever you've been talking to, keep talking to it because it's working. And they all, they all said it's a miracle. They said it's 95% fatal what he went through. Come to find out he has a hereditary disease called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And he had this episode. And if you don't have, if you don't have, CPR itself won't save you. You have to have an AED. And, it, and that's a whole other story. I can't get into it. But they had an AED and, and all of that. But you also have to have God and some, some, some prayer. Come on now. And my son went on, graduated top five in his high school class, finished his first year at, at LSU. He's going to LSU the second year now. If you look at him, you wouldn't see nothing that would make you think he ever went through anything. He's just as normal and strong. He did have a defibrillator installed into his chest, but other than that, you would never know anything ever happened. The TV stations came. They did two or three different things on him. Newspaper people came. They did articles on him. And the lady who wrote the, the article for the newspaper said, I have written articles about this for the past 25 years, over and over and over. This is the first time. I've ever written where the person lived. Because somebody gave me something to hold on to. And I've come to speak into your darkness. I've come to speak into your abyss. I've come to speak into your pain to tell you God is with you and you're going to make it. Come on, give him praise, give him praise, give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. I give you, Jesus, the hope of the world, the hope of your world. I throw out to you, Jesus, every time I preach past. Every time. Every time. Brother Williams, come here. I know you're dealing with cancer, but God's dealing with cancer. 
Is there somebody else? There's somebody else you're facing something. I feel like I'm going under. I need a little bit of help. Come on, come on up here. Come on, come on, come on. Woo, come on, brother. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. Woo. Yes, yes. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. You're going to make 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 it. says the Bible says hear me the Bible says those that could swim those that couldn't swim all of them all of them made it safely to the shore every one of them made it because of hope because of hope Everybody made it. I rebuke that lying devil in Jesus' name. I rebuke that devil that would speak to your brother. I rebuke that devil that would speak to your sister. Hold on, brother. You're going to make it. Any of you that need prayer, I want you to come up here. If you need prayer for your body, if you want the Holy Ghost, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, come up here. Come on, whatever need you have, there's some men and women in this building going to pray with you. When they come up here, church, I need you to come help. I need you to be, I need you to be the board, the one that offers the board to them. I need you to help. Help them touch God. Help them touch God. Come on, would you? In the name of Jesus. In the name. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Come on, come on, church. Come on, bring your need up here. Bring your situation up here. Bring your prayer request. Bring your hell up here. Bring your problems up here.
Yeah. 